Make just one someone happy. Make just one heart the heart you see. Good morning. Happy Sunday morning to you. Dr. Clinton Owl here with the Attitude of Gratitude. As always, brought to you by Production Heating and Cooling. With their famous 502 area code number 589-5880. Of course, if you prefer virtual business, well, you can go to productionair.com. But you know, anyone can come up with a sharp website, either creating it themselves or hiring it out. Production Heating and Cooling has a sharp website, but they have something that other businesses, virtual or brick and mortar, may not have. They have a history, a long history. In fact, they will have been around going on close to 75 years, three quarters of a century. Three quarters of a century of being a Kentucky Anna institution, which means they've always been there to back up their work and they always will be there. And that isn't possible for a company that doesn't stay on top of things and make sure that their prices, whether for their services or products, are more than competitive. That's right, production, heating, and cooling can take care of any size project, commercial or residential. But if you own a home with a central heating and cooling system, I don't know about you, but I want someone that I can talk to personally and then trust when they come into my home. And production heating and cooling takes care of all of those little niceties like putting the little booties on their feet so they won't track stuff into your home, courtesies that may not be all that common today. And for those of you who haven't been around for 75 years, maybe you've never experienced a small mom-and-pop business type attitude. An attitude of people you can trust. People that have everything invested in doing the best job possible and always following up. Making good on everything they do. This is your opportunity to experience that firsthand when you call Production Heating and Cooling at area code 502-589-5880. Now, for those of you out there who happen to be TEPs, that's Thanksgiving Exercise Practitioners, and of course the Thanksgiving Exercise is what we constantly emphasize on this program, you know that I am a TE practitioner and have been one for over 25 years. That means every single day during that time, throughout the day, almost everything that potentially determines an experience that I have, for example, if I were to get in my car to go to work, I could anticipate the rush hour standstill that's aggravating in and of itself, plus there might be something that I'm really concerned about, maybe even worried about at work. That's an experience, an overall circumstance, if you will, that triggers 
my response to literally getting into that vehicle and giving thanks to God for the fact that I'm going to be making that trip in a climate-controlled, very luxurious and even entertaining capsule for travel that's only available to people living in my time because in the past, of course, no matter how wealthy anybody was, they uh, had to go from point A to point B through much less comfortable uh, arrangements. But as I'm on my way to work, I have the choice to decide whether or not I'm going to allow predictable circumstances like the traffic jam um, to aggravate me, unsettle me, or I can stay focused on something that's just as much a part of that reality, but it's a reality that blesses my heart and actually uplifts me and gives me a sense of calm, peace, serenity. And by the way, if you've been listening for some time and you're still wondering, what exactly is that TE or that Thanksgiving exercise? Please explain it to me in the simplest of ways. Well, I just did. The TE, of course, is both described and commanded in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. However, for the broader study of the many different types of prayer, we've looked to a passage of scripture that's well known, well known to anyone who is a Bible student. It's referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Three chapters that aren't particularly long as Bible chapters go. And yet, in this place, we find more information on how to live as a Christian, how to behave as a Christian, what to seek after as a Christian, in other words, how to be a Christian, than any other place in the Bible. Jesus is very specific about how to pray in the form of fasting. And he does so by providing the following warning. Matthew 6, verses 16 and following. When you fast, he says, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen, for your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Actually, that advice is perfect for so many areas of our Christian life, and it certainly applies to what we most recently focused on in this series, and that was crafting your own closet prayer. When you go to your special place to be alone with God and to experience His intimacy in a way where you don't have the competition of things going on in the outside, and of course in our world, uh, there's so many things bombarding us for our attention, it's just sometimes almost overwhelming. But when you go to God in that quiet place, you want to make sure that you're making the most of that time. And... What we saw was that the Lord's Prayer, yes, that's right, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, the sixth chapter also, in the verses just before, starting with verse 9 and following, the Lord's Prayer provides a model for how we are to construct our own individual prayers to God and with God. That's why it's sometimes referred to as the model prayer. Well, there's another passage 
also found here in the Sermon on the Mount, actually at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. That's probably very familiar to many of you, that you nevertheless may not feel as though you have even a clue as to what it's about or even what it's for. Why do we have it? I'm referring to the Beatitudes. The Sermon on the Mount is literally launched, if you will, by this beautiful, I don't know, do we call it poetry? Bible poetry? What is the Beatitudes? We saw that the Lord's Prayer provides a double service, if you will. It's very recitable, and it also serves as an excellent blueprint for crafting our own prayers. During this series, as we moved into a study of the Beatitudes, many of you are discovering that the Beatitudes are far more than just a list of eight beautiful concepts. They're more than mere words to be placed on a plaque or even on a decorative plate or perhaps on a Bible marker. It turns out that the Beatitudes provide a step-by-step roadmap along the deepest spiritual journey one who knows Jesus Christ as his or her personal Lord and Savior can possibly travel. Just as 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 16 through 18 provides us with specific instructions on how to pray continually in a way that will ultimately lead to the very substance of joy in our lives as the people we are for Christ, so it is that the Beatitudes take a step-by-step on a journey of personal cleansing that leads ultimately to the greatest abundant life freedom we could ever know on this side of eternity. Now believe me, I know what a huge promise that is. That's why we're going to dig deep during this final portion of this series on prayer. In the Beatitudes, the Lord maps out the various stages of development and maturity in the Christian life here in this life. We see how each stage in our relationship with God is built on how thoroughly we allowed ourselves to be immersed in the previous stage. I conducted this study personally many years ago when I literally read every available commentary at that time that focused on each one of these truths, each one of these beatitudes. I took all of this information and as humbly as I possibly could be, I opened my heart and my mind to the Lord to reveal to me, if possible in one single life application sentence, how all of these insights contained in all of these commentaries could possibly be summed up in a single sentence for each beatitude. The result was a prelude, a list of seven very practical behavioral promises, followed by a concluding summation. The resulting promises 
are seven steps. Any and every Christian willing to take them can embark on with an explanation in each step of the results to be expected. We will address those promises as we go to the main portion of our study. But here in the introduction, as I will do every Sunday throughout the remainder of this series, here are the Beatitudes themselves, the Beatitudes you have contained in your own Bible. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12, as an introduction to these Beatitudes, Jesus saw the crowds, we're told, beginning in verse 1 and through verse 2, when he went on to a mountainside and sat down with his disciples, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In a moment, we'll return to our study of the promises that explain each one of these Beatitudes as we meditate on the beautiful message of the Dove Brothers Quartet in their song, I Can Pray. Remember, prayer isn't something you should do simply because you can't do anything else. On the contrary, it should be what you do before you do anything else. And as a foundation for anything God leads you to do as His will. You say I'm not able, I'm too young or I'm too old, and I can't sing or teach, and no title do I hold, Lord, what can I do? For I want to do my part. And I want to help the hurting With all of my heart Seems so hard, Lord, what can I do? 
help bring them back to you For my family's lost and dying And my words do not get through Dr. Glenn Nowell here. For years, you've heard me tout how production heating and cooling can save you money on service, repairs, or new equipment. How their integrity is such that they will never try to sell you something you don't need. How they slip their work shoes into these little footies before they enter your home. And how their personal integrity has fueled this family-owned business for three generations. But here's something you didn't know unless you've heard this particular commercial before. When I call Production Heating and Cooling at 5895880, I call as a customer just like you. Any discount or special attention I get, you get. Think about that the next time you open up your utility bill. Production Heating and Cooling at 5895880. Again, 5895880. Dr. Glenn Nowell here, still with you, still with the attitude of gratitude. If you are in any kind of 12-step recovery, you know the significance of steps. You know that 12 steps enable you to, in little bite-sized chunks, embrace the very principles of life itself. In such a way that you start growing, you become more and more free from whatever it was that you were addicted to, or maybe something that you are struggling with emotionally, like even a mental disorder. When you take these steps, you gradually learn how to recover and to become the person you want to be. Well, in 
the Beatitudes and their corresponding promises, these steps enable you to become the person God wants you to be. In fact, the person He requires you to be if you're going to maintain a relationship with Him. And of course, as we know, the problem is never God Himself. The problem is always you and me as we try to take back control in our lives. But the very first step is that step that most of us took when we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Step one of the promises is simply, we have joy admitting that we are powerless over sin. Of course, the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, but praise His holy name. The gift of God is eternal life. We're powerless over sin, we own it, and we believe that only God can rescue, but also protect us from that lethal sin that was not only at one point in our lives the reason we were the walking spiritually dead, but once we become born again and alive again, we believe that God will protect us. Protect us from temptation, protect us in temptation, and ultimately to protect us from ourselves. Because we're constantly, after giving God the reins, we are constantly taking those reins back. And we're saying, subconsciously usually, uh, Lord, now let me go ahead and call the shots. Uh, let me uh, follow uh, my intuition or follow my uh, plans, my dreams. But believe me, every step of the way, if I need you, I will call upon you. And of course, the Christian life doesn't work that way. And we realize that if rather than to simply accept Jesus, take that so-called first step, and then to move forward at our own pace and our own direction, if you and I are going to move in the direction that God has planned for us, we need to do it through a step process. And that is the wonderful beauty, the revelation of the promises themselves. They are designed, they're constructed so that we take that first step and then we move on to the second and then the third and so on. But there's a big difference between these spiritual steps and literal physical steps like those that make up a staircase. If you are on the ground floor and you want to go to the second floor and your only access, uh, rather than a, an elevator, we can't work an elevator into this analogy, uh, or an escalator for that matter, but uh, if you're going to get to the second floor and your only means of doing that is by climbing literal steps. Once you have put your foot on the first step and then you put the other foot on the second one and then the third, each time you do that you leave the previous step slash steps behind. And you do that process until you reach the second floor. But with spiritual steps it's important for you to remember that in order to move on to move on to step two, you have to be firmly grounded in step one, and you have to maintain that posture of humility throughout the second step process. But then when you move on to step three, you will have to maintain as a foundation to that step the practice of steps one and two. 
And the same thing is repeated when you move on to step four. You are nevertheless simultaneously practicing steps one, two, and three. This clarifying understanding of what it means to take behavioral, literal, spiritual steps in order to facilitate the process that we call spiritual growth through the promises is so crucial that it literally determines either success or failure. As a Christian counselor of individuals who have been implementing the promises in their own lives, I always find that when such an individual feels that he or she has reached some sort of impasse, that they, they've gone as far as they can spiritually and they're not sure how to move forward, even though they have the next step right there in front of them, or maybe they just seem to be unable to do that particular step, it's always because they have not maintained the foundational requirements involved in the previous steps. For example, um, I talked with a person not that long ago who was having a lot of difficulty with the fourth step of the Beatitudes, uh, the fourth step of the Promises, uh, where uh, this particular lady was trying to make amends with some people she knew she had wronged over the years. But she never seemed to be able to find the appropriate time or even muster the appropriate words in order to implement that stage of making amends. Well, we discovered that the major problem for her was that she had not been maintaining that first step of humility, and while maintaining that, also maintaining the second step of thoroughly examining her own self, morally, spiritually, and the third step of persevering in the present in other words, just doing it and keep on doing it even when all the indicators seem to suggest that uh, it just couldn't be done. She had not been maintaining those previous steps, so she really was having difficulty. In fact, she found it impossible to implement the fourth step. Well, again, the problem was and is always if you get to a point of impasse on any particular step, it's because you have not implemented the simultaneous practice of all the previous steps in that process. So, uh, with that in mind, as a way to close out this portion of uh, this morning's Attitude of Gratitude program, let's together read and or recite the promises. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ promises that we will experience divine joy, which is His will for us, to the extent that we take the following steps. 1. We have joy admitting that we are powerless over sin, believing that only God can rescue and protect us, and humbling ourselves in all matters, trusting that, because of Him, ours is eternal life. 2. We have joy courageously evaluating our moral condition, honestly admitting our immorality to God, facing it ourselves, and confessing it to another human being, trusting that we will experience an ongoing sense of well-being. 3. We have joy persevering in the present and seeking God's will and His power to accomplish it, trusting Him rather than ourselves for the results. 4. We have joy doing whatever is necessary to make amends in righting any wrong we have done to others, provided it is in their best interest 
with no regard to any wrong they may have done to us, trusting that God will reward us with a deep sense of satisfaction. 5. We have joy demonstrating compassion to all, knowing that even at our best, we too are in need of it, as we trust in God for His mercy. 6. We have joy allowing our wills to be aligned with His to the point that our motives are pure, trusting that we will see God's active participation in our actions. 7. We have joy pursuing peace and accepting serenity as the result of these steps, trusting that the Prince of Peace will declare us heirs of the kingdom. Our Lord promises that the practice of these principles will ensure our joy in the midst of even the worst possible circumstances. For ours is eternal abundant life. Pray.